welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel! And we're here to talk about two HBO programs, the pilots for Luck and The Newsroom. Before we can get to those, even, I've got months' worth of HBO news. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't have too much. I don't have too much. Right, um, right. Because we haven't recorded since July, when we talked about the Deadwood movie. First, there's a big debut tonight on the network. It's the premiere of Watchmen. Oh. Based on the seminal graphic novel comic book. I'm not that familiar with it. I've never read it. Has anyone read Watchmen? Are you anyone familiar with I have. I've, I've read I've it in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some of it. I mean, I've read some of it. I don't think a lot. Well, that's more than I've done. But I might check it out because I've heard great things about it. The what? The the show? No, the the graphic novel. Oh yeah, I've definitely heard great things about it, and I'm I'm hearing good things about the show as well, which is not actually an adaptation of the novel, but a, a new set of stories in the universe established by the graphic novel. So not a straight uh-huh. adaptation, something totally new. Huh. I don't have any reference for it, but I might check it out anyway. Regina King's in it; she's lovely. I've always loved her, and Damon Lindelof is the executive producer, showrunner, and he did The Leftovers, and The Leftovers is amazing. So hmm. I might check that out. Uh, and then t- um, tomorrow night is the f- start of a four-part miniseries called Catherine the Great, starring Helen Ooh. Mirren. Ooh. I don't know much about Catherine the Great either. She is Russian. <laughs> That's all I know. Yeah, I don't know a lot about her, but that sounds really... Interesting. Friend of the podcast, Brad, knows a lot about Russian history, so I wonder if he will be checking out Catherine the Great. Why? Is he a commie? <laughs> uh, yeah, he is, actually. <laughs> uh, Catherine the Great was a little while before communism really took off. Just a little bit. Yeah. Debuting Monday, November 4th, His Dark Materials, the BBC and HBO joint adaptation of the popular book series. Anyone familiar with that? His Dark Materials? A little bit. Golden Not Compass? No. What is that? Fantasy, young adult fantasy novels. Oh, um, wait a minute. Gold- I've heard of it as described as an atheist chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gold- I don't know if that's accurate, though. Yeah, the Golden Compass was the first book in the series, yeah. and they made a movie from that, and then it never, it didn't take off, so they didn't make any more movies, but... They're doing um, a full adaptation of the novels now. Does anybody know what the novels have to do with? Because part of me is like, somewhere in my head, I feel like I know this, but... I know it takes place in a world where people have these like animal companions called demons that are sort of like a representation of your personality, and they follow you out throughout your life, and they, they can talk and... like Oh. So the the lead heroine, a uh, young girl in the book, she's got like a a, a demon uh, companion that's like I don't know a ferret maybe <laughs> that doesn't seem like that's right I don't know. Okay, this does not sound familiar at all. So apparently, I I was totally mis um, had the wrong thing. So and and she goes on an adventure. I think she goes looking for her missing uncle, maybe or something missing father. I can't remember. And she's pursued by a like a extreme religious group, maybe, or maybe I don't know. 
I don't know why I'm saying like I know what this is about. I only have a vague <laughs> I did read the first book. And I remember liking the the world building that was happening and the themes of the book, but not really liking or connecting the with the characters. Mm. Okay. But yeah, it looks like a very high quality production that HBO is bankrolling. Big fantasy novel, lots of special effects, lots of actors that you know about. James McAvoy's in it. Just trying, trying real hard to find the next Game of Thrones, huh? Yeah, and this, <laughs> and this could be it. And supposedly, at some point, the kids try to kill God, but I feel like that's a ah. conservative uh, interpretation of the novels, and probably not how what actually could, happens. How hard could that be? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Somebody once, somebody once famously said he's already dead, anyways. <laughs> oh, ooh. <laughs> There is a new streaming service coming uh, next year, probably several, but uh, this one's called HBO Max, and it's a forthcoming streaming service that will give subscribers access to HBO original programming, plus a library of material from Warner Media properties, including CNN, TNT, TBS, and the Cartoon Network. This is where Friends is going, since it left Netflix. It's going to another HBO streaming service, and this service is going to have more HBO-exclusive original programming that may not actually be on the network proper. And one of those I'm excited for, semi-excited for, is called Dune the Sisterhood. And it's based on the books by Brian Herbert and Kevin Anderson, set in the world created by Frank Herbert, created the original Dune. So there's going to be a Dune movie or series of movies and then a television show. Yeah, that hasn't gone so well so in the past. Dude is a tough one to put into a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it might be two really movies. Tough. Like a really volume tough. one and a volume two. Yeah. There's so much nonverbal stuff going on that it's like really, really tough. But hey, I hope they do a good job. I always really enjoyed the Dune books. Yeah. And the director of the movie is Denis Villeneuve. Oh, the guy did. How do I how do I say that, Melanie? Villeneuve, yeah, you did a, you did a decent job there, Matt. It's Thank better you. than the, the name of that freaking horse in Luck. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's doing uh, both the movie <laughs> and uh, at least maybe the pilot of the TV show. He did Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which yes. I thought was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was a really awesome movie, and I didn't even I like the have... first Blade Runner, but that one I really enjoyed. I liked the first Blade Runner, but I did not see that one, and I, I missed it entirely. I need to go see that. I need to see that. Anyone familiar with the book Station Eleven? Nope. It's a post-apocalyptic nope. novel uh, about a plague that wipes out most of humanity, but in the future, there's a Shakespeare troupe that like goes around uh, in the post-apocalyptic landscape, like bringing art to the people of the post-apocalyptic world. Anyway, uh, HBO Max is going to make a 10-episode series based on that. So that's another show that's coming to that streaming service. And for the first time, all 24 films of the renowned Japanese animation house Studio Ghibli will be available streaming for U.S. audiences. I think they should use the same cast that they used in Deadwood for the Shakespearean company. Oh, God, no. (laughs) I just saw... um, (laughs) The guy who played Chesterton. Remember Chesterton from Deadwood? The kind of obese, older guy who pass, passes away? They had, they had to go through a lot of contretemps to get him out of the, the stagecoach. Okay, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that actor was just in an episode of Beauty and the Beast that I watched for the podcast Sassy Sewer Lion Boutique, based on the uh, 80s television show Beauty and the Beast. Yes, and? He was in that, in a really ratty-looking undershirt. It was gross. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, the HBO show Succession was renewed for a third season. Great news for people who watch that show. I don't, but I attend to one day because people say it's great. And then my last n- bit of news is Julian Fellows of Downton Abbey is producing a show for HBO. Originally for NBC, actually. It's called The Gilded Age. Would it shock you to learn it's about affluent white people? <laughs> it <Yeah>. is. <laughs> you you said that you saw the Downton Abbey movie. How was it, Matt? I, I enjoyed it. But I yeah. like I like Downton Abbey. I, I yeah, I like it too. It's yeah, I like it too. I it's kind of like just check your brain for a while and and watch some fun actors chew scenery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. a great cast. Did it? It didn't really need to be a a movie. No, and it would play just as well, I think, as a TV movie the way that the Deadwood movie was. I don't. I wonder th- if it. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Now, I wonder if it's a little bit like El Camino, where it's like, you know, did it really need to be a movie? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Probably not. I haven't seen El Camino. <laughs> yeah, we saw it. Uh, I, I've i heard some people say, like, was it necessary? Probably not. But did I like it? Yes, I loved it. You know? <laughs> well, good. If you loved it, then that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's probably the same as the, the Damned and Abbey movie. Was it necessary? Probably not. But it's enjoyable. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it was enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun to see those characters. There were some, there was a lot of plots happening and some of them really tied up so neatly. Like, someone tried to assassinate the king and it was like two scenes. And you're like, huh, that was resolved rather quickly. Wow. In other movies, that would be the entire plot of the movie. In this, it's like the the seventh plot on the list. Yeah. (laughs) Regicide, seventh plot. (laughs) Darling, we don't dwell. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, Julian Fellows, he's creating a show for HBO called The Gilded Age. I'll read the plot description for you. Thanks. Set in, you're welcome, set in 1885, <laughs> Marion Brooke, the orphan daughter of a Southern general, moves into the home of her rigidly conventional aunt in New York City, accompanied by the mysterious Peggy Scott, an African-American woman masquerading as her maid. Marion gets caught up in the dazzling lives of her stupendously rich neighbors, led by a ruthless railroad tycoon and his ambitious wife, struggling for acceptance by the Astor and Vanderbilt set. Will Marion follow the established rules of society? or forge her own path in this exciting new world that is on the brink of transformation into the modern age. Hmm. I don't know. Sounds great. Hmm. Snooty, ri- snooty rich people in New York? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, that that could be an interesting interesting show. They They were an interesting group of people.
right. Well, that's it for news. We're going to talk about our first show, Luck. It aired January 29th, 2012. It lasted one season, nine episodes. It was renewed for a second season, but it was later canceled after a third horse died during filming. And we can talk more about that later. Oh, my goodness. Jeez. I'll add that the pilot was written by David Milch, and it was directed by Michael Mann. Michael Mann of of uh, Manhunter fame. And also of Luck fame. No. <laughs> yeah, most people know him as the director of this pilot. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, I briefly mentioned before that I was a guest on the Beauty and the Beast podcast, Sassy Sewer Lion Boutique, and they have a segment that, uh, well, originated many podcasts ago. Uh, I have borrowed it without permission, and we're going to do it now. It's the dreaded 60-second plot summary, ah. where someone ah. has to tell us the plot of luck in 60 seconds, and if they go Good. over, they are a loser, and if they go really, really, really under, then they're just a chump, and I don't know... how. How anyone could possibly do this, and I hope it's not me. I'm going to spin the wheel. I think Mel and I should be exempt. It was us last time, I think. Uh, That's not how it works. (laughs) (laughs) It's Carol. I knew it was going to be me. I knew it was going to be me. (laughs) All right. Well, it hasn't been me in ages, so. I think it was maybe. For some reason, I feel like you would know the most about this out of all of us, for some reason. Mm. Uh, I watched it this morning. That helps. All right. I mean this uh, topic. Oh, this topic? Yeah. Hmm. I can see Carol uh, slumming around Carol a ra- racetrack. Because you know, you know stuff. <laughs> slumming around a racetrack, huh? Do you, do you know 60 seconds worth of stuff? Well, get ready. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Three, All right. two, one, go. Dustin Hoffman gets out of jail. Um, he becomes a, uh, he's kind of the mystery man in this whole thing. He's making, he's, uh, he's kind of silent partner. Then we've got a few different groups of people that are all slowly coming together and they're all around the racetrack. Um, we've got a, um, a trainer who is making some money on the side. He's keeping, uh, his horse on the down low. We've got a bunch of gamblers who are, looking for a big score and they managed to make it um by the end dustin hoffman is got has got a horse uh through a through a, a another guy because he's not allowed to be involved with this whole thing but he's pulling a lot of strings you can tell by the end that uh he's gonna really make things happen and i'm oh and nick nolte nick nolte he's got he's an owner as well all of these things are going to come together probably in a couple episodes. <laughs> the end. And you love what those horses... One minute, yeah. three seconds. Oh, come on! Uh, admirable. <laughs> you were doing really well, Carol. Mm. I was terrified. I'm looking at it going, God, 30 seconds, we haven't gotten to a summary of the plot. Oh, that's right, there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like I feel like I would have said like maybe like a uh, a couple sentences, and then we'd be like, "I'm done." <laughs> well, so good job. Char- it's all putting character together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All you all, could do you know, is briefly sketch out the characters, and that's yeah. yeah. But it's not called sixty second character sketch. But that was the that was the plot was true. Giving us the characters. Yeah. So the first thing I did was I counted how many men were credited in the titles before any women. <laughs> <laughs> and how did that go? 
All right. Number one, Dustin Hoffman. Number two, right. Dennis Farina, who I saw on a plane once. FYI, I just oh. want to say. Uh, number three, John Ortiz. Number four, Richard Kind. Number five, Kevin Hunt. Number six, Ian Hart. Number seven, Richie Coster. Number eight, Jason Gedrick. Number nine, Carrie Condon. Finally, number nine. Wow. Was she the um, the exercise person? Yes. Because was there only two women in the cast? The only yes. women I come up with. Who was the other woman? The other woman was Jill Hennessy, who's a pretty big name, but she's number 12 on the list, and she played a vet. Mm. Oh, right, 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 the vet. Yeah, she is a pretty big name. Um, yeah, but she had a very small role. I, I, I know Carrie Condon best from uh, her role in Rome, which was an HBO program. Um, yeah, I've, I remember Rome. What did she play in Rome? She was the adult daughter of she, she put Octavia of the Julii. She was the adult daughter of the lead rich Roman okay. noble. Anyway, yeah. one yeah, reason yeah, why I, I avoided watching the show for so long is because it is so dude heavy. And I don't like to watch shows that are primarily male driven. So I haven't seen a lot of mafia stuff either. I, I find a lot of macho posturing to be extremely irritating. I, I find it amazing that Nick Nolte, was he like, was Nick Nolte at the end instead of... Yes, he was, yeah, he was and Nick Nolte. So if he had been, um, billed kind of at the top where he should have been, we would have bumped Carrie Condon down to number 10. (laughs) Well, when you've got two names like, um, Dustin Hoffman and Nick Nolte, one of them's going to be at the beginning and one of them's going to be at the end. Right. So again, very dude heavy show set at this racetrack, um, filmed in Santa Anita, I think it is. Mm, That's racetrack. Yeah, the Santa Anita racetrack. That's where they filmed this. I generally, I generally agree with you about uh, like primarily male-driven things, but there's a lot of good mob movies you should check out. <laughs> Probably, maybe. <laughs> I, you know, I. It's annoying when everything is all men, except that part of me has always rather had that than to shoehorn a romantic interest into the middle of it it's like if you're going to have a woman character let's have her actually be a character not just like oh okay let's have his girlfriend who oh yeah she dresses in bikinis all the time you know no if we needed that exactly maybe but no i mean that's what they very often would do and that was just annoying you know Mm -hmm. well i get it this is a very dude heavy environment the race track yeah yeah. has anyone uh been to a horse race? No. Um, I'm trying to think. No, I don't think I have. I went to a few with my dad in Toledo. They had um cart racing. Mm. Which is a weird like why. It's called Raceway yeah. Park. I don't even know yeah. if it still exists. Aren't they all called Raceway Park? Mm. Well, this one was anyway. <laughs> yeah, I I've, I've known a few of them that were called Raceway. I guess it usually still that's car racing though. It's usually on, that's car racing. It's usually it's listed on Toledo.com. Harness racing is what's called. March through December, simulcast all year long. Uh, Twenty-one hundred seat theater style seating gives spectacular view of the races on a five-eighth mile track from start to finish, and a two hundred seat clubhouse for those who like something to eat while watching and cheering on their favorite horse. Admission price for adults eighteen and over is two dollars. Dollar if you're sixty or older. Children twelve or under are free, but they must be accompanied by an adult. I just remember that they had fudgesicles there. (laughs) 
that makes sense. And because I was a stupid kid, I thought it, that's where fudgicles lived. Like, if I want a fudgicle, <laughs> I had to go to the racetrack with my dad. I, it's not like they had them at the grocery store in the freezer aisle. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a thing. Isn't that funny the way kids are? Yeah. 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 That is funny. Um, I've, I've, I went to, <laughs> this is going to be weird, but I went to um, the racetrack in Louisville where they run the Kentucky Derby. But I went there in the middle of the winter um, with my dad and we like toured around and everything inside it with when it was all like snow was on the ground and nobody was racing <laughs> all that. So, mm. yeah, we did stuff like that. I have oh, zero experience around racetracks because I grew up in a small town. We have a racing track here in St. John. But I've never been to it. Me neither. I just have no interest in it. Mm. We've got a bunch of, I mean, we have the Meadowlands not, you know, that far away um, yeah. where <clears throat> you know, they've got major horse racing and stuff. And I, I keep feeling like I went there sometime or another, but I don't, I don't remember actually watching horse racing, but there's part of me who thinks that thinks I went there at some point in my life, but I don't remember. Yeah. Well, folks, you can go to the exhibition park raceway in McAllister drive, St. John, New Brunswick. Yeah, I know. I have no interest in it now. Well, you (laughs) admissions free. Wow. Wow. I just find whenever I go to any kind of gambling establishment, it's just so depressing that I I just, no, I I totally, (laughs) I totally agree. Yeah. You you don't see dudes winning $2 million left and right. It's so depressing. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's just the people there are just so desperate to win. And it's just so sad. I don't know. I just can't, I can't handle it. I no. Pat. Your wife. I'm tapped out. Tapioca. Yesterday you left the grounds a $390 winner. Yeah. Then I hit the Commerce Casino for a little poker fun after dark. Well, three days worth of pick six carryovers were several million dollars and you hand your bankroll to the ricers? Here's my picks. Oh, fuck your picks, you degenerate prick. Where is your money? Don't wind yourself up. Your face is going all different colors. Oh, fuck my face. <laughs> it's harness racing up uh, where you ha- where you are as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know what the difference is really. Like, why why the two different types? <laughs> well, it's got to be because jockeys that are can ride the horse are few and far between. And it's easier to hire people who could just sit in a cart behind the horse. Yeah. I suppose. Well, I think it's also just... I mean, it comes from, you know, historically, if you think about it, what did people, how did this all start? Some people were riding on top of their horses and some people had horses that, I mean, it's a different kind of horse that, you know, pulls a, a cart or a, a buggy or something like right. that. So, yeah. you know, they'd have, they'd have some people racing their, their cart horses and some people racing their, their saddle horses and, it just seems like a nerdier version of horse racing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Has so. anyone, has it, have I, any of you been on a horse? Like, have you ridden a horse? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah I must sure. have. I can't remember, though. I have. Yeah, I have. I, I have once. I didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not comfortable. 
I, I took uh, horseback riding lessons for a while when I was a kid. Did you? Uh, yeah, my friend and I did. Um, we had horse... When I was a kid, This where I live now, um, you know, this was a lot more rural. And there was a lot more, you know... So we could we could uh, walk from my house over to a, a riding stable. And uh, my, my friend, my best friend, uh, who's still my best friend... Um, when we were teenagers, she got me into it, and uh, we'd go over there and have lessons and, and stuff, and uh, you know, it was it was really nice. I really liked it a lot. Mm, cool. I've gone riding since then, you know, a number of occasions, you know, over the years, and uh, I rode a mule down into the Grand Canyon and back up. My friend loves horse racing. She could tell you, uh, like. In 2015, who won the Preakness? Like she can, she knows all the all the horse stats and stuff, and who sired whom, and 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 it's crazy. Like, I, and I don't know why. <laughs> Fun fact: uh, the Preakness, uh, which is running down like in Maryland or somewhere, was named after a horse named Preakness, who trained mm-hmm. in the Preakness section of New Jersey, which is um, in the town I live in. And I went to Preakness School when I was a kid. Well, that is a fun fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Preakness, the horse Preakness was named after the section of our town where the horse trained. And because we had a, long before I was born, <laughs> we had a uh, a horse racing um, thing here in town. And uh, it was where the horse, the horse Preakness was uh, born and trained and raised. And, and he was named after the the area and then he was such a star horse that he got the race named after him hmm. yeah. and it is preakness not preakness yeah i got that yeah. <laughs> i'm just a big dummy i don't know anything about horse no racing. no no everybody everybody calls it the preakness that's why i said it because that's what everyone else yeah. calls it <laughs> no it is it's called the preakness but but it's not the area we're all the area of town that the the horse was named after was preakness it's it's actually, yeah. So the horse's real name would have been Preakness. After I do three years, you suspect me? I take a fall protecting how many people I have a tape recorder. You got qualms? Absolutely. You want to fucking toss me? Hey, he's basta. Basta? What are you watching old movies? Don't basta me, you fucking guinea prick! Three years! Getting forgetful and everything else. Everyone appreciates what you did, Ace. Tore the buttons off my goddamn shirt. Everyone knows who you are. Make a fool out of myself first day out. A, you didn't. B, you were the friend. Run Mr. Bernstein over to the Beverly Hilton, Jimmy. Yes, sir. Pull around back for him. Thank you. As far as another topic, whenever you feel like you want to talk about it, I'll fly people in. Is that all right with you? We'll see. My blood pressure is sky high right now. Absolutely. Go. Relax. And then you let me know when you're ready. You know, the Greek owning that horse. I could think of worse opportunities for an inside view of what's going on day to day. I shrunk. I gotta get new shirts. Let's pivot back to the episode, though. Oh, really? what (laughs) What is Dustin Hoffman's character about? I'm gathering that he went to prison to do time to protect 
like either his business or his business associates. He he did the time for three years or something. Now he's out and he's gonna what? Pick up and where he left off. Is that whole thing separate from horse racing, or it's did he not, do something illegal with horse racing? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, I think he did something illegal with horse racing. It, but it feels like a different show, because he, he appears at the beginning, and he, he's like in the middle of the episode, and then at the end. But I don't yeah. know how it's connected to anything that's happening at the racetrack. Oh, I think it's all going to come... Well, I mean, he's he owns the one horse. Yeah, he... At he, the racetrack. I right, mean, that's part of the it. the horse, right? But then what's his master plan with the horse? think he's planning on um well you know you notice how the um the trainer um sent the horse out he he tried to low-key everything yeah yeah tried to low-key everything and then have the horse win and meanwhile he had you know he bet on it and all that and and, um i'm guessing that um um, hoffman's character is doing the same thing and uh whatever his Hoffman's character's name is, and um, and then the uh, I assume that all of these pieces are coming together in the next few episodes. Well, I fully expect them at some point they will. Yeah, and, at some point. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I think he's going to be a major player in it in the whole thing. I thought the the very end of it really pulled it together and made me go, "Oh wow, okay, I want to see the, the next episode after." The very end, very much. Well, it definitely got a little exciting at the end with the horse race. No, I, I mean Hoffman's like Hoffman's kind of positioning, like I'm back and I'm going to do things. This is this. I found this very. I found it very upsetting. The horse racing, like I was just like, especially when the horse broke its leg, I was like, yeah, oh that no, was that, I was not no. expecting that. That. Right? That was, that was really awful. Tough. Oh, really? You were not expecting... See, I fully expected that. And I put down my prediction... Episode one? Oh, yeah. I put my prediction. This pilot's going to end with a horse getting put down. Like, I just knew... I should have put money down on that. If, if, if we could bet <laughs> on TV pilots the way that people bet on uh, horse racing, I would have yeah. pet. I would have cashed out a millionaire several times over having predicted that that horse was going to... I was yeah, no. mad at that jockey because he was just pushing that horse too hard. You know, he was just like whipping it and whipping it and whipping it, and the horse was pushing and pushing and pushing, and it pushed too hard. Mm. Uh, so he was like, he was like, oh, like, well, and then he like said, acting later. all like, oh, like it's okay, horse, like just think of the ocean. And I'm like, fuck you, <laughs> stupid jockey. <laughs> later, he told that that guy like, oh, she, you know, she, she had it in her. I, uh, yeah, I knew it or whatever. Like, obviously not. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you obviously suck at your job. <laughs> Anyways, this. Uh, <laughs> This is like probably, if not the only or or one of the few episodes that we've watched so far where scene to scene, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, <laughs> almost every scene. Yeah, seriously, yeah. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what these numbers represent. I don't fucking know, and I don't fucking care. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel the, the only same thing way. I'm sure of is right after the camera camera uh, cuts off in that last scene. Those two are definitely having sex. Yes. <laughs> Those two guys? Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he totally had the hots for him. He's like, want me to find you a girlfriend? He's like, yeah, I don't trust anyone, though. He's like, but I trust you. And I was like, ooh, the, ooh he's got the hots for him. <laughs> he, he didn't exactly say, I trust you. He, he sort of said, I trust you most of all. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. 
And I did like when he told Dennis Farina, you don't know your own depth. Because Dennis Farina's like, I'm going to go to this racetrack. I'm like the intermediary between you and the racetrack. But I don't, I'm out of my depth. I don't know what I'm doing. And he says, you don't know your own depth. Which I like, because it seemed like I didn't get the sense that they were going to fuck. Just that they were two (laughs) old friends and that the one had a sense of loyalty to the other. And that Dustin Hoffman appreciated that because it's like he got out of jail and nobody really cares. I guess. That's what I gathered from that. I, I want to say that I did like the trainer, Escalante. He also uh-huh. had my favorite line where he went, holy cow, that horse run very good. <laughs> People kept mentioning him and bringing him up and in, in, in stuff. And I'm, what does a horse trainer do? He trains the horse. How? Run, horse. Now run some more. Now keep running. What, like, now what? they, there's a, it's, they bring them along certain, um, uh, it's like training anything else. Uh, you know, you see where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are. You, um, you pick various ways that, um, to build, um, on their, on their, uh, strengths and, and bring their weaknesses up to, you know, as well, develop their weaknesses into a strength. And, um, so they would figure out different, um, workout routines. They would, um, I think they also, they, just like he was, he was doing as far as getting, you know, um, him taken care of as far as his health goes and all of that, deciding what he should eat and, and, uh, how much he should train and, and, you know, all that good stuff. And to keep him regular, because part of the drama was, is that horse going to take a shit or not? So is there a more crucial time the horse should shit? Be better, or sometimes even they bite into their stomachs. But your horse ain't walking uncomfortable or uh, looking behind himself. You know, todavía, Miguel. No? Yeah, so all of that is good stuff? That's all good. I mean, I wish that he would take a shit, but I think he's okay. When are we racing? Not now. He tell us when he's ready. This horse won the fourth race. No kidding. Twelve to one. What a surprise. I wish I'd have known. That makes you and uh, me both. Believe me. Give him a carrot, el ganador. Nah, I don't want to fuck him up. How are you going to fuck him up? That's what they eat. That's his name, this horse, el ganador? El ganador means winner in Spanish. His name's Mongato. Acting like you don't know. Nah, I never did it before. I swear to God. <laughs> I'm going to call you El Natural. Spare me the hat dance. I'll call you El Bullshitter. Well, or because, I mean, they were worried about, you know, whether the horse would, you know, get, like, would end up with some kind of blockage or something like that. And, and uh, which is why she had her hand up his butt. Yeah. Know, just checking out, you know, to, to make sure that, you know, things things were going okay. Because they, they brought him in from... Where did they bring him in from? Like, uh, uh, Ireland? The, the trainer? No, the horse. Oh. The horse had just come in from an, from another country. Oh. That's why, you know, the horse had been traveling. So they were, you know, that's why the horse was... A little was, backed up. Like, yeah, all backed up and a mess. I mean, considering we know what's going on when we travel, a lot of times we aren't exactly... Yeah, travel's very stressful. Shape. Yeah, digestively, we aren't in great shape. You no. know, sometimes when you get mm-hmm. to where you're going or 
or you, you know, get back home or whatever. Imagine if you had no idea what was going on and you were a horse. And it's not like, you know, whatever travel they did to get him from one continent to another was really all that well set up for horses, whether it was by ship or plane. One of my notes is, does anyone know what the fuck these dudes are talking about? <laughs> right. It's probably the, con- one of the Well, there was one. one of the, of, go ahead. I was going to say, one of the guys didn't even know what they were talking about. Like, one of the guys was like, tell me what's going on. Oh, and yes, like, he did say like, that. Like, why are you here if you don't know what you're doing? I think, I think that, well, first of all, I think that was just mostly to get, to let us know what was going on. So they'd have someone to explain it to. Yeah, I don't think they did. But, they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> they, they didn't. <laughs> But the thing is that also I got the feeling that that guy was there for the money. You know, he yeah. he just, you know, he didn't know what was going on, but he trusted these guys to make some money. They seemed to know what was happening as far as these things, you know, these horses go. And so he was getting in on a, a good thing and really had no idea what was going on. What did so. people think of this show when it originally came out? I looked on Rotten Tomatoes and it got decent reviews. Hard to tell, though, because sometimes critics get sent, like, a whole slew of episodes at the beginning of a season, and they they, they can watch more than just one, and then they can see the pieces coming together. Right. I think overall they they liked it enough, but saw that it was a very polarizing series. Because it doesn't hold your hand, it does expect you to kind of just go along with it and maybe do some after-show viewing research to plug in the the holes i found a mm-hmm. website called it's called hello racefans.com and yeah. the series of features is, says understanding luck <laughs> mm-hmm. terminology how the bets are how the bets work i guess one thing that's interesting is that unlike a, a casino where you're wagering against the house here you're wagering against other people placing bets so th- it was kind of a it was a plot point that that one guy shared his information with the other person because it means if they both win, then they have to split the the, the winnings. Right. Whereas they both don't get the same amount from the house. They they have to split whatever the, the pot ended up being. Yeah. I, you know, I actually kind of understood what they were saying and everything, which I really didn't know how how it worked. So I felt like they actually explained it pretty well without you know really holding holding my hand all the way through it um i i definitely feel like i kind of understand how the the betting works to some degree now which i had no idea before i'll have to put the line in at some point when i'm editing the podcast but one of one of the things this guy said before i call porky pig on you he kept he kept calling somebody porky pig i didn't get that what was that (laughs) You don't need no stick. Yes, sir, Mr. Escalon. I got to stay here. Jogging him once the wrong way around, losing him up for his race this afternoon. I was telling Joey before, sir. I'm so sad getting a rap for you. Yeah, good. Uh, we were on big with this horse today. What? Is this morning today or this afternoon? What? Pinhead, is today this morning so far? I guess so, yes, so. Then jogging him once the wrong way around and uh, shut up on what you don't know before I go pokey big on you. I don't even remember that. Who who was that? Oh, oh, the guy that they were making fun of his weight. Yeah. Yeah. 
he wasn't all that heavy, but... So when he called um, him Porky Pig, he's saying, I, before I call the guard, the security guard. Got it. Thank you, Matt. You were paying attention more than me, apparently. <laughs> I don't... I don't remember anybody even saying that. So that guy was I, so sad. That guy's like, I've never, I've never seen a character like get that like depressed and introspective about themselves. Or he's like, he's like, I can't remember the exact context, but they're like, he's like, so he's mentioned something about whoever put him in this body. Like, yes, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. That was that was that. Was, now I really did like that scene. <laughs> yeah. As you said, introspective about your own um, appearance and, and whatnot. I he was a very sad sad character, I, and I did like yeah. that. Those the guys overall, like the the guys who were betting, um, gross, uh-huh. Gr- gross and greasy. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want to spend time <laughs> with them. But the most obnoxious was Richard Kind, who I've seen in. Was he in uh, Mad About You? Uh, I believe so because I looked him up and. He's in Mad About You 2019 or 2020 or whatever. Ah, uh, so he's in the the um, reunion, the new, the new yeah. I'm, I believe he was on, he, I don't know if he was recurring on Seinfeld, but uh, he was on Seinfeld, wasn't he? Um, you know, he was on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He played Larry's cousin or something. Hmm. I've got to figure out who you're talking about. He's got a really memorable face. Memorable yeah. face, memorable voice, this kind of neurotic twitchy yeah. stammer but his oh, character the guy is who, just oh, I know who you're very irritating yes oh oh him oh he was on um uh he was on the uh we're talking about oh he was on the uh b- 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 what do you call it um legal show um <laughs> which one <laughs> um <laughs> there's many of those yeah but it was um Oh. Well, while Carol looks that up, I will tell you that he also <laughs> played Mort Wienerman in the TV show Randy Cunningham, Ninth Grade Ninja. Mort Wienerman. <laughs> All right, Matt. Not you, Matt, but Matt Humphrey. What? If we ever have a child, can we name them Mort Wienerman? <laughs> <laughs> you really want to be hated by that child, don't you? <laughs> well, I don't really want to have kids anyways. <laughs> Actually, if I ever get a wiener dog, I'll name him Mort Wienerman. (laughs) Yes, you will. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know what? I I was thinking a totally different. I don't know why, but yeah, I was. I had him totally different. I remember him from Spin City mostly. Ah. I was thinking. I was thinking of a different person, but as soon as I saw Spin City, it's like, oh yeah, that's where I originally know him from. Hey, Joey. I'm at Miss Escalani at his barn. Oh, yeah? How, how, how'd that go? Good. You know, he's fine. He's a little hard to understand. Yeah, well, you, you did some job. I did? Yeah. Pissing him off. With your wise ass chirping about how, how good you thought this horse was going to run today. Well, I was just saying something to say something. And that, that's what how's the weather's for. With great trainer, I wanted to have something to say. Suppose he's making a bet. You, you, you think you want some, some big mouth riding his horse? You batting this, Desgalani? I don't know. And if, if you want to know, I, I, I don't want to represent you. You're a bug. You bite everything hard. And you don't chirp about what ain't your business. He could be on Gojo. You like shine on Saturday night. Did I just say to keep your mind right? 
I liked that thing that they used to exercise the horse. It was like a clothesline, a rotating clothesline, where you just clip the horse to it and it walks itself in a circle. Uh, yeah. I wish I had that when my dog was alive. I would have spared me <laughs> some time. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna clip you to this thing and it's gonna spin around and you're gonna walk around with it. And I'm yeah, gonna go inside we, and play computer games. Oh my we used God. to, we used to attach our dog to the uh, clothesline and he could run back and forth between the house and the big apple tree we had. And which is like a half the yard, which was a huge yard. So, yeah, yeah, that's pretty it cool. Works. Yeah, it works. Let me find Harold's feedback here. I go back to the cast here. So the guy who gave them all the numbers and predicted the outcome of the races, how did he do that? And how did he do it so exactly for like six different races and all the different? Well, what places? it looked what it looked like he did was he had the the horses that he thought were going to win. And my understanding is, I'm no expert on this, my understanding is that basically people who are real um, racing nerds, um, I mean, they study all these horses and everything about these horses and, you know, the jockeys and the owners and the everything about them. And it, sound, it seemed like this guy was really good at that and he had if you notice on the card he on most of the uh, races he had three different um horses or so that i assume that they bet on all of them on those three because they needed one winner for each race to this is my understanding from looking at it to end up with the big jackpot at the end I'll just pull this straight from the website, HelloRaceFans.com. Okay. A pick six is a wager where you must select winners in each of the six races in a sequence. It's customary to select multiple horses in each race to make sure you have good coverage, as it's called. The pick six crew singled a horse in one of the races, a technique one can use to spread or have broader coverage in other races. Uh, so basically, you have to pick a horse in all six races. You pick all the horses to win. Well, you probably make m- less money, but you can you increase your odds of winning something. Mm. But, so what, like, f- for some of the races, he had, like, three numbers, and some he had two, and some he had one. Like, what does that all mean? He, um, he only, he chose multiple ones. Like, one of them, it looks like he chose, all right, I don't know for sure, because I'm not an expert on this, to say the least. But it looked like, to me, that he chose... Like three possible winners on most of the on most of them, which they would bet on each of the three, and then on the one he only chose the one winner, which mm-hmm. is what made everybody nervous because oh, okay. he was it was like he was saying, "I'm sure that this one's going to win," and if it hadn't, then that would have just you know that would have destroyed the entire the entire uh, system that they were doing. Yeah, he had one pick for the fourth race, Mongato. Trained by Escalante, <laughs> whereas the uh, in the other other legs they had more horses. And yeah, it, this had, we- like, this, three, um, it like. this website estimates that they spent three thousand two hundred and forty dollar on the ticket, and that's yeah. So you spend three thousand dollars, you get a two million dollar payout. But the most likely scenario is that you lose all three thousand dollars. Right. Then you win anything. So now they're yeah. secret millionaires. They're not going to tell anyone that they're millionaires. You'd well, think they, individually they aren't millionaires because 
but collectively they are. Collectively, they're the Millionaire Club, but they're going to keep it a secret. Why? Not sure. Um, they, they were talking about talking to somebody about, uh, what was it, the taxes? Oh, so they're going to hot up cash in without actually paying the taxes on the winnings? Yeah. Maybe that's why um, Hoffman went to jail. Who mm. knows? Yeah, we maybe, don't know that yet. Maybe he was giving secret steroids to horses. Who knows? It would have been nice if I we just got a little bit more backstory on his character and why he was in jail and what his goal is other than having getting out of jail what's his he's buying a horse another horse okay and why what's the what's the goal they could have just explained that in the last scene i would have been a lot happier melanie would you read harold's feedback sure Um, so the luck pilot demonstrates that nowadays there are different rules for pilots (laughs) especially (laughs) When a pilot has an all-star cast and big-name writers and directors, there doesn't seem to be any urgency to get the audience hooked. Instead, it feels like the show expects that its audience will give it several episodes to prove itself. I know that if I was an HBO subscriber back then, I would have given it several chances, even though the first episode was pretty meh. I say this because outside of some intrigue with Dustin Hoffman's character... In the betting group that won the pick six, but made the presumably foolish mistake of not cashing in their winning ticket, there wasn't a whole lot that was memorable about this pilot. Instead, it just felt like a day in the life of a racetrack. I think I expected more from the show, given that David Milch has apparently spent so much of his life at the racetrack. Yes. I, don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel like I got a special inside view about what goes on there. I give this six out of ten... Nay, Jill Hennessy, get your goddamn arm out of my ass. Nay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Milch is a degenerate gambler, or was. Yes, I know. Yeah, that's that's what I was. Well, I was like, uh, I told Matt when, when we were watching this, I was like, wasn't David Milch a gambler? And Matt was like, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is obviously why he has like he has an interest in this, and he wanted yeah. to make it, and the network was like, well, we like David Milch, so he wants to do it, and Michael Mann's going to direct it, and okay, let's just do it. We won't let, don't is, think too much. Let's just do it. Which is why I feel opposite of what um, Harold thinks here. I do feel like we got a special inside view about what goes on at a racetrack, and therefore, I don't understand. <laughs> it is not that interesting. Because it's all like... <laughs> It's aimed at a very small Specific? niche audience yeah. who already yeah. spends all their time at a racetrack. Yeah, like it's so specific. I don't know. Yeah. I, I kind of liked it. <laughs> I, I'm glad you liked it. I, just, I did. I, I, I mean, I just, yeah, it was slow. I mean, you know, but I don't know that much about a racetrack. So I found it interesting. I thought it was kind of a different view rather than but they weren't teaching you anything they just expected you to know how a racetrack works and how that sport works and everything like they expected you to do the research there was, yourself there was well, no there was no um character who we could see through their eyes and learn as they do right uh, there was no proxy for the audience no that's very true i mean i it definitely was a lot of you know, you need to pay attention, you know, and really like, oh, okay. but I paid attention, but I paid attention and I couldn't understand what was happening because I, nothing was explained. I didn't pay attention. I was distracted <laughs> the whole time because it was boring. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. <laughs> carry on. Yeah, I wasn't bored. I, 
I mean, I I get what you're saying. You're absolutely right. There there wasn't there wasn't that character that there usually is to be able to see through their eyes and go uh, that character what going. What is this world? <laughs> what is this world? I don't understand. Explain it to me. You know, there wasn't that that character, which mm-hmm. was definitely you know problematic. Um, it meant you had to spend a lot of. Yeah, I realize. I, I think I. <laughs> I think the reason that that didn't bother me was I think I was approaching it kind of like I do when I've got a bunch of like techie friends who are into something that I don't know that much about. And I just have a tendency to just kind of stand there and smile and nod and listen a lot and, and just sort of, okay, you know, I'll figure out what I can figure out. and If I listen long enough, I'll understand what's going on. And I think I was kind of doing that with this. It's like, oh, okay. And I found myself figuring most of it out, I think. Um, I might be totally wrong. But, um, yeah, I I think I liked it more than, than you guys did. Probably. Yeah, sounds like it. Just to give an example of, of how confused I w- was, during the, the race at the end, I thought all the guys had bet on this one horse that was going faster and faster and that was like horse number eight i think and he was coming from behind and and everyone was like god that horse is running so fast like that's amazing and then he he breaks his leg and you go oh my god snap that's disgusting it's awful yeah it's I guess, awful I, I guess they lost their their bet oh no they bet on a different horse no everybody they, was no, every well not somehow happened. somehow they won three million dollars though yeah that's not okay do you want they me bet to, on both of those horses <laughs> no no the, okay <laughs> see See? This is this is what this is what I figured out because I didn't know how this all worked either. But um, they kind of explained. I felt like they explained enough. And I, for anyone listening who knows about this stuff, if I say it all wrong, oh well, sorry. Um, what I got out of it was that they were doing this series of races, and if they won the series of races, then um, since they bet on everybody in the last race. That that chart that there was up on the up on the wall that had different do- payout amount the different dollar amounts that was payout amounts for who how much money these guys would win or have to split with somebody if somebody else had the exact same um, number of wins they did if they they had won they had picked the winner in all of the other races the last race they had picked everybody every single horse to win. So the only thing that mattered, they were going to win. The question was how much. So probably the the horse that was um, the favorite to win, they were only going to win like $49,000, if I remember correctly, 49-something, which sounded really good to the one guy. But if some of the long shots came in, they were going to win $2 million something And the horse that broke its leg was I think the longest shot and that was the most that they were going to win. That was like 2 million, um, 600,000 or something like that. But he broke his leg. So they started looking at the next horse, whoever, whatever horse won, they were going to win money. It was just, are they going to win $46,000 or 2 million some odd thousand dollars? And so the, the next horse that came in was like the second furthest long shot and that was still worth two it wasn't worth quite as much as the horse that broke his leg but that one was worth two million 
you know, like 400 some odd thousand dollars. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I follow that. Mm-hmm. But I guess my question is, is it a good pilot if most of your audience can't <laughs> piece all of this together? And if they build drama around a moment that ends up not impacting the result as much as you would expect, like you kind of think it's a win or lose situation and that they lost, but they still end up winning something. And you're, is that, is that good drama? I don't know. I I mean, I don't know. I agree with you, especially if most of the audience is like totally lost on, I thought it was interesting. It's like, I never knew that, that it worked that way. And I, it, it kind of showed me how those things worked, or at least as long as I got it right, it showed me how it worked. If I, what I said was just totally wrong, then obviously it was a total failure all the way around because you guys didn't understand it. And I thought I understood it, but then maybe I didn't. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it was, my feeling was that they were setting these guys up for something in the future. I thought it was kind of refreshing that they won big in the first episode and it's like, oh, okay. So this isn't one of those things of, oh, you know, just more sad sack characters losing, you know, because that's normally what happens. There's no way they get that money. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know whether they get the money or they, I mean, it did kind of look like, okay, you're putting it off. And then they were talking about all like kind of sleeping you know, getting a hotel, getting hotel rooms where they could watch each other or something like that. Very, um, very odd. <laughs> yeah, it was, didn't, you know. Don't they, they didn't all buy individual tickets? No, they all pooled their money and bought. On, on one ticket? On one ticket, yeah. That seems like a weird scenario. Like when an office goes in on a lottery ticket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like that. Well, I think because if they got. And when you buy your ticket, like you don't give them any of your personal information so they can contact you if you win? What no. if you lose the ticket? That seems oh, weird. Wow. I don't know. It seems like I would give you like my phone, like I would have an account or something. Well, I, you know, I mean, I've, I only know racetracks basically from old movies and stuff. So when the guy went up and was doing the whole mechanized thing, when the trainer was going up and doing the whole mechanized thing where he was, you know, putting, uh, tickets in and then getting tickets out and stuff. I was just like, okay, I, it looks like he's making a bigger and bigger bet on the horse. Maybe I'm not sure, but I don't know anything about, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I've never seen these mechanized things before. Cause I've only seen this stuff on, on TV shows and movies. And all. Well, I would assume that if it's a $3 million pot that, People from not just this racetrack. There's not enough people at this location to put their money into it. It's got to be like a something that you can buy like online or over the phone or something. Well, like people from all countries can like participate in. Well, I mean, there's um, bet on bet online and um, what do they call o- those uh, OTBs? OTB. There's yeah. OTB. Right. I would so, think that that's you know one would assume then if you bought your ticket through one of those places that. They have a way to track that of who bought the the, the ticket, right? Because you're electronically giving your information of when you bought buy the ticket, you make the make the wager. I have no idea. Uh, we have to do some research. Okay. <laughs> Let's read Stephen's feedback. Uh, Matt, you can read this one. Where does it start? <laughs> 
I've never been less interested in a series after watching the premiere episode than luck. Uh, I struggled to even find an artist angle, something to give the episode more depth. I thought maybe the two scenes at the end paired well. Nick Nolte quietly talking to the horse mirrored Dustin Hoffman in bed, quietly talking to his limo driver. But other than two old men clearly distant from the game looking to get back in, I could not tell you what grander connections these men hold. Not from this one episode, anyways. And sadly, none of the other characters held my interest. Not even horse proctologist Jill Hennessy, <laughs> whom I know best from Law & Order and one crossover episode with Homicide Life in the Streets. There's my ob- obligatory Be More Baltimore reference. Ultimately, HBO decided to cancel the show before its second season due to the deaths of horses on the set. Ah! Indeed, yeah. a, hor- a horse was injured during filming of the pilot episode and later euthanized, as eerily depicted in this episode. Oh, that's terrible. Even more eerily, Luck was filmed at Santa Anita Park racetrack in California, and Santa Anita was shut down earlier this year in 2019 due to a staggering number of horse deaths, oh. with more than 60 horses <laughs> reportedly perished at the track since the start of 2018. Gross. Good grief! Uh, horse deaths are not unique to Santa Anita and very much at risk of the, very much a risk of the sport with a national average of 1.68 horse deaths per 1,000 starts. Um, statistics might not tell the whole story about horse racing deaths. Uh, oh, this I think hypothetical question is your Hypothetical question. Just how many deaths does it take before it can be recognized as an arena-style blood sport? (laughs) As a Deadwood fan, I frankly expected more from David Milch. And with the show that seemingly has more in common with Spartacast than Hooplecast, I give luck 0 out of 10 bow-legged goats. (laughs) Thank you for the plug for Spartacast. Uh, Yeah, three horses died during the filming of this show. It was so it was renewed for a second season, but I guess when they started filming the second season a third horse died. So they were just like, "All right, I think they even filmed like two episodes and they never aired them." That could be wrong about that. But then they said, "You know what? Kate, that's it. We have to stop." So a horse oh. reared up, fell backwards, struck its head, and it had to be euthanized. Oh. Um uh, other accidents occurred during the filming of the pilot and the seventh episode. In those instances, the American Humane Association, which worked with HBO in the production of the series, said that the horses stumbled and fell during short racing sequences. The animals were euthanized after severe inoperable fractures were bound were found by veterinarians on the set. And I read somewhere else that more more horses died, like statistically, during this filming of this show than in horse racing in general as a sport. Wow. Just the percentage was higher for some reason. I don't really that know is- why. I mean, when he was saying that, that's a lot of horses when he was saying, um, what was it? 60 horses died uh, from start of 2018 to 2019. Yeah, Yeah, that's a lot. That seems like a lot. That's a lot. That's too much. I mean, I get it that these horses are, you know, they're, they're fragile, you know. It's. It seems like the like the breeding might be. I don't know. People mm. do weird stuff with breeding animals, and yep. it sounds like they might have you know been pushing 
the breeding of these horses way too too far to make them just too fragile. Faster. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I found an article, but of course I can't read it because it's now under a paywall, but it's at National Geographic, and oh. it said something like 496 horses died in 2018, and 23 of those were at the California racetrack Santa Anita. Wow. Yeah, it's it's crazy, like, just what people will do. Like, that's why I don't... That's part of why I didn't enjoy this. I just don't enjoy people using animals for sport. Like, it's not... for To me, it's not necessary. You know, it's it, it's just you're using this animal for your own fun. Well, like, they better take they never this more seriously. Me. Otherwise, <laughs> this... I don't feel like this is a very popular sport anyway, but it no. feels like... It really will be. I was about to draw a comparison between putting a, a horse out of its misery and putting the sport out of its misery. Uh, I won't do that. <laughs> but um, it it does feel like it's on its last legs. Like it will. See, it's hard. It's hard not to. That's the thing. It's hard not to be. You know, create the metaphor. Yes. But it, they should do something, I mean, at least no, in their own interests, if not the horses. As far as I know, it is a pretty. It's still a very popular sport. Maybe I mean, not in the U.S. Maybe like worldwide, like um, overall worldwide. I, I don't. Mean, if, if you look at you know OTB and that kind of stuff, um, I mean, there's a lot of people who want to bet on horses out there, you know, and and there's still a lot of racetracks around. So, yeah. fuckers didn't do nothing. We were in the back room putting things together from the ground up, learning from those that uh, came before, them that had a lot of blood on their hands. Hey, so you want anything from the kitchen? Uh, uh, check the uh, thermostat. 67 degrees, 67 is perfect. And they're too hot, too cold. So, how did it go? Good. The horse moved his bowels. Took that as a positive. When he landed, he was all bound up. But generally, how they look? What do I know? He saw four of his legs reach the ground. Escalante was satisfied. Yeah, he was satisfied. He was grinning, pitching his cheek. Those screws at Victorville—they could buy Cadillacs. What I paid to let his uh, race tapes through the uh, the mailroom. That horse is all heart. He gets by you. Forget about going by him. Roosters and birds, Ace. And goats. You take yourself for being on a farm out there. No, I know. I'm saying beside the horses. Oh, beside them? Yeah. I saw a goat out there had nuts the size of pumpkins. I hope to Christ he was bow-legged. He was bow-legged. How the hell did you know that? How else would he walk around? Escalani? Desi Arnaz? Some fucking trainer. I followed him 25 years watching him climb up the, the ladder from, from nothing. That regard, he reminds me of you. 745, I'm, I'm falling asleep here. You had a full day. As far as them that did what they, they did to me. Are they moving the way you want? Yes. They're going to move on that racetrack. You don't know if they take that shit wrong. I think I played it okay. You're the new favorite Greek. That's good, Ace. All I'm nervous is you relying on me when I'm working out past my depth. You don't know your own depth. Okay, let's read it. Oh, right. Oh. 
I'll I'll start. Okay. I uh I've already said everything that I needed to say about this show. It doesn't deserve any more words. <laughs> um three out of ten buttons popped out of Dustin Hoffman's shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that was a that that was a show he was putting on? I, I don't know, it was but it weird. was really it was really weird and ridiculous. Like, what I, are you trying to do? Like, you're like I don't know. It's it was very uh, it was very Simeon of him <laughs> to do something I, like that. Well, he was showing that he wasn't wearing a wire. Yeah. Uh, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. That's oh. why. That's why he it did kinda, that. It was weird. I don't that's, know. Yeah, that's why he did that. He was yeah. He was showing he wasn't wearing a wire. But I so over the top it was too much. I thought he just got angry. It was showing him his chest, and I was like, "What's <laughs> happening?" No, well, he got—he supposedly got angry that the guy was—he felt the guy was indicating that he was, you know, like that he might be wearing a wire, that he wasn't trustworthy, and all of this stuff. I, you know, then and then later on, when he was in the hotel room and stuff, I really—I was really wondering if that was just a show for the guy. And because he seems like that character, especially at the end there, I was like, okay, this guy has got, you know, wheels within wheels within wheels going on. And, uh, you know, I'm um, I'm not sure that we have any idea what he's actually up to. Yeah, he's another he's another elsewhere engine, Tony Soprano, macho posturing guy. I don't have a lot of use for it. Um, I'll rate it next. I, I liked a couple scenes. We talked about the security guard. And his introspection about his weight, I, he, he said something like, uh, who put me in this body? And another guy says, someone named Ronald McDonald or something. I thought was funny. <laughs> there was some, there was some fun teasing about, about, you know, about him and you know, some characters had some good relationships. There were some good scenes. Uh, overall though, I was mostly bored and confused. So I'll give it a three and a half out of 10. Testicles the size of pumpkins. <laughs> uh, Only three and a half? I, <laughs> I'm sure this is a good show for somebody. That's a very small proportion of the of the audience of the population. Um, but those people, I'm sure they would really like it. So, but they're stuck at the racetrack. So maybe they're at the racetrack instead of watching HBO. But it's competent, competently made for somebody, just not me. So I'll give it a two out of ten. Big old juicy butts. Because there is a lot of those in our face, in a lot of the camera work. <laughs> those jockey butts. There's a lot of jockey butts, um, <laughs> and I have Just a th- and around. I have a thing where every time the, the, that a butt covers the majority of the screen, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I was doing that a lot. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> Remind me never to watch a show with a lot of jockeys in it with you. Uh, <laughs> the episode started with horse porn. There was a horse getting soaked down. Yeah, I know. Sexy. I could have done three and a half out of ten sexy soapins. And at first, when the vet was putting on the glove, I thought she was going to maybe... I was like, she's not getting ready to jack off the horse, is she? I wasn't sure what was happening. I was really grateful that it was the other thing for some reason. I just didn't want to see the other one. Anyway, sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I just want to add that I remember an episode of Real Sports with Brian Gumble about horse racing, and yeah. that was far more fascinating than this pilot. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. About breeding the horses and the 
the kind of like cattle calls they have where they auction horses off at uh, state fairs and things and what they do to the horses and how they travel and and all the, the lack of regulations around the the sport like I remember I remember that episode I remember being very fascinated by by it, it was an expose into into the this whole the whole deal and that was great this was not as good as that <laughs> <laughs> okay carol your rating um I have mixed emotions because it it is very slow and it is, you know, you have to really pay attention and stuff. But that last scene really did make me want to see the next episode. Um, uh, And to find out what, you know, I don't really want to see those, those, the gamblers screw themselves up. I, I really would like them to just get the money and, and have that be the thing. But I have a feeling that they're just going to, Never get it. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with five and a half out of ten popped buttons on Dustin Hoffman's shirt. Okay. Was that somebody else's rating? That's mine. It's <laughs> okay. Still no, I, can rating. I can share. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Come up there with your own rating, enough, Carol. Did you say that? There was enough buttons on Dustin Hoffman's shirt. No, did you say that? Okay, I'll come up yeah. with something else. I'm sorry. Share. There's enough buttons. Why did I not hear that? Okay. Um, my my brain is not working as well as it should. That's um, okay. um, let's see. Okay, five and a half out of ten. <laughs> um, no, I can't do that one. Um, five and a half out of ten, uh, poor unfortunate horses having to be put down. Oh, that was very sad. Well, I can say that of the post-Deadwood Milch shows on HBO, we liked John from Cincinnati more than this one. Yeah. Which is something. Okay, next show to discuss is The Newsroom, 
which originally aired June 24th, 2012. The pilot was written by Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Greg Motala? Motala. I don't know. It lasted three seasons, 25 episodes. What was the pilot about? Someone's going to have to tell us in 60 seconds. And it won't be Carol because she already did it. Which is good because I have no notes on this one at all. I don't have notes either, but... That's me. (laughs) Taste of your own medicine, Matt. I I know. Um, (laughs) Someone want to get out the stopwatch? Hang on. I'm getting it. He's good. All right. All right. Just trying to think about my, what happened. My oh. phone is not turning on. So here we go. Uh, where's my stopwatch? Where's my stopwatch? Stopwatch. All right, tell me when you're ready. Uh, I guess I'm ready. Okay, one, two, three, go. All right, well, we open on a college campus, and Jeff Daniels is, manages to insult all of America by saying America's not the greatest country in the world, which, of course, it's not. Um, <laughs> but apparently he has to go on sabbatical, and the network is like, you're, you're a mess, you're falling apart, uh, you said you're on vertigo medicine, um, we're going to pair you with this new producer, this new EP of the newsroom. It's a girl he used to date, she's back from war. She's exhausted. She just wants to run a newsroom. And there's lots of, like, um, posturing at the, at the network, uh, between, uh, his show and his, like, successor has split off and is taking his staff with him. And they're gonna have, there are now, there are a motley crew of new employees. And, oh, what's that? There's a news alert. The deep water horizon has, uh, exploded off the coast of Louisiana. Um, big twist. This episode is actually in the past. And uh, there's a breaking news story happening, and they're all going to um, uh, put on a show uh, with lots of integrity, but not b- before they uh, yell at each other a lot. And uh, then they do, and the show's a success, and maybe they'll bring integrity back to the news. The end? <laughs> One minute, 15 seconds. And Damn it! Damn it! Oh. <sighs> tough. It's tough, okay. man. When you said that it turns out it's in the past, was that in the next episode or something? No, because this aired in 2012, and the Deepwater Horizon event happened in 2010. So the okay. the whole the whole like um, premise of the show, and this is actually why a lot of people criticize this show, is mm-hmm. that they covered events that actually happened in the real world with the benefit of hindsight. And have made their characters look brilliant by comparison, because with hindsight, they can have their characters be like, we got the story before anybody else broke the story, and we went with the angle that nobody else went with. They all (laughs) reported it at the end of their newscast, and they reported on the search and rescue. We talked about the environmental impact and the lack of regulations, and that we made that our entire show. Aren't we the best show on TV? Well, Mm -hmm. that's... That's why people are like, this show's irritating because all their mm-hmm. all their characters are Mary Sue's. It's not realistic. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why people didn't like this show. I can give you other reasons later. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I like I like this first episode better than Luck. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and that that clip of him saying the thing uh, about America, I've seen that like clipped out. Oh my god, I've seen that so many times. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorkin did the same thing in the pilot of the West Wing when when the president finally appears and he dresses down this 
um, this room of radio personalities and there was a conservative woman there and, and he's like, uh, uh, wait a second. Are you like a Dr. Laura lookalike? Yeah. Because you said that gay people shouldn't get married. Does that mean you have like separate, yeah. don't let fibers mix in your clothes? Because that's prohibited in the Bible. And also touching the skin of a pig. Are you against football? And it's like he just runs down this whole like speech that is so written that mm. it's like this is not how people talk. Like it's the same kind although, of like. Although he was a college professor. So, you know. You know, but you don't just see a person in a room and all of a sudden just, like, have it at the ready. Oh, I've got the 20 things that can make my argument. We wish we could all do that, but we can't. Right. Somehow, somehow Aaron Sorkin's able to write characters that, that do that. And Jeff Daniels is definitely, has that Martin Sheen moment in the pilot of this show. The Martin Sheen, that particular speech, though, wasn't in the pilot of, that was. Oh, that was, was it later? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was pretty far into the show, um, if I remember correctly. But uh, and when the president yeah. speaks, nobody sits or right. something. He says because she's she yeah. she doesn't even stand when the president enter the room. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, and the thing is, I mean, my feeling on that particular one was that this is something that he had had discussions with people about any number of times. And, you know, the way he phrased it was, you know, I need your advice. My my daughter keeps doing this. Should I stone her or should I, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. do this other thing that the Bible says? And I, I got the feeling on that one and, you know, that this guy had been, this was not the first time he'd given that speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that this was something that he had honed over the years um, and had had. And had variously spoken with, you know, others about it. Because he's supposed to be a super intellectual, nerdy guy, so. Right. Well, and that's the other, another complaint about this show is that all the characters are super intellectual and they have these, they're able to speechify and just be the soapbox for Aaron Sorkin's point of view. Which is fine. Like, I don't hate that necessarily, but I can, I can see people being irritated Uh when, you expect it all the time. It becomes, can you just write a character the way a character, like an actual human being would talk? Or does everybody yeah. have to sound like a, an essay all the time? Yeah. Yeah. Cause no, Jeff Daniels cared. Like he, he rattled off these figures about <laughs> statistics and who knows if they're true or not. Like America is like 20. Like, I don't even remember what he said <laughs> verbatim, but America's like 27th in this and da 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 da. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that, Depending on how your mind works and in a news situation like that, I mean, I do know people that that just know some people who know dates and some people who know, you know, statistics or little odd facts they've heard or, you know, whatever. Um, I knew one guy who he could tell you what date everything had happened to him in his whole life. And it was just like, how do you do that? It's like, I don't know. Just, you know, that's. It's how everything's organized in my head. So, I mean, I have known people who, I mean, his job is to know stuff like that. So I figured that, you know. Maybe. So that kind of stuff was just stuff he knew. Will McAvoy, they criticize him. They call him the Jay Leno of news anchors. But he seems like a guy that has a very strong point of view and strong will. So how did he become such a milk toast anchor if he's 
really has the swagger that he seems to have. Well, I think they were saying that he used to have it, and now he doesn't. So he has it like around the office and with people he's dealing with, but not when he's on the air until this broadcast that we get to witness. Yeah, I got the feeling that he, you know, he had he'd gotten he'd kind of sold, decided to sell out, and he was kind of bitter about it, and he he'd become this bitter nasty person around the office um, because he basically decided to become do stuff that wasn't important, you know, and just be like this nondescript sellout. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was so nasty to people and hard to work with. He's nasty he because he's selling out. Yeah. So one would think that a new producer who wants to really do the news for the 5% of America who's interested in, in actual having like facts and not just entertainment and, and vanilla stuff, like you'd think then he would be very welcoming, but he was very hostile toward her as well. Well, because he's already, he's made his choice. That's because they had a and, relationship and, that ended badly. Had, right. And they had a relationship. So here he had this woman who he had a relationship with and she's trying to get him She's making him look at himself in a critical way and what he's become in a critical way. Oh, well, that's going to go well. I mean, every guy wants his old girlfriend to point out to him that he's a sellout now. Um, so I could see the hostility. No, no problem there. Um, but and by the end, he decides you know, to go with what was probably his old self. I've come here to take your IQ and your talent and put it to some patriotic fucking use. And where does it say that a good news show can't be popular? Nielsen ratings. We're going to do a good news show and make it popular at the same time. That is impossible. Between your brains, charm, looks and affability and my... Refusal to live in reality. It's impossible, man. Social scientists have concluded that the country is more polarized than at any time since the Civil War. The Civil War. Yes, people choose the news they want now, but we people overcome People choose the now. facts they want now. So what you've just described is impossible. Only if you think an overwhelming majority of Americans are preternaturally stupid. I do. I don't. And if you let me, I can prove it. You know what you left out of your sermon? That America is the only country on the planet that since its birth has said over and over and over that we can do better. It's part of our DNA. People will want the news if you give it to them with integrity. Not everybody, not even a lot of people. 5%. And 5% more of anything is what makes the difference in this country. So we can do better. Does everybody like this character? <laughs> or does every, anyone else find him extremely irritating? Yeah, I find him irritating. Yeah. I, think, I, don't think you're, I don't think you're supposed to like him. I mean, in that first scene, you kind of saw the the two sides of him. He was, you know, he was being all very glib and, and such until he was really pressed. And, and then the real him came out, which was a guy who had a very, <coughs> pardon me, a very definite opinion, um, knew his stuff in depth and, uh, had been not expressing his opinion probably for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I think that makes people, you know, he's, I, I think he's a result of, of what he's been doing and the fact that he hasn't been happy with, you know, his, his life for a long time. 
I wonder whether he's going to change at all as as the show continues, as he gets more you know more doing what he really wants to do and following his heart. I would hope so. I, I hope they would become a uh, a team. I there was a that. very there was a very funny moment at the end of the episode where he he makes an effort to tell his control room that he that they did a great job and he walks into the wrong control room and the yeah. guy's just like uh huh <laughs> and he's like well I tried <laughs> I did think that was um fairly funny yes I did watch at least a season and a half of this until I what? finally was gave up on it but you mean originally. Originally, I do remember watching a season and a half, half of it. And the, the reason I really kept watching was Olivia Munn, who was not even in the pilot, but she's in the main titles. She plays a, I believe a financial analyst, and she is just really good. Like, I loved her character. I loved her look, everything about her. She used to be a, um, like involved in video game news reporting for some video game network yeah she co-hosted attack of the show oh okay yeah all right on g on g4 which was a kind of a video game centric yeah chris uh, hardwick was involved with that i think or something yeah i i ran across but she was um she was on uh the the medical show a house that's where i knew her from really she was in house yeah, she uh, late in the later seasons of House. No, you're confusing her with yeah. um I am? Yes. Okay, I believe you. Whoever it is. I But she was on some she was on some major show where she came in at the end. Um that you're I confused, you're thinking of Olivia Wilde. Okay. This is Olivia Munn. I thought it was hang on a second. Let me let me see which show it is that I'm thinking of her on that I messed okay. up. <laughs> Once again, Carol goes to the IMDb. Yes, I am. I'm headed there right now. Olivia Munn. Because there's some show that she came on near the end that, uh, and then I saw her on, you know, some clips from Attack of the Show. And I was like, oh, she was, I knew her from, you know, whatever it was. Oh, she was on The Daily Show. Okay, that's probably where I know her from. I had her confused with. Yeah. So, so she's my way. favorite thing. She's my favorite thing about the show. She wasn't in the pilot. <laughs> Anything new? No. There might be. There won't be. An oil rig in the Gulf exploded. Persian Gulf? No, the Gulf of Mexico. Kendra. BP Deepwater Horizon is about 50 miles southeast of Venice, Louisiana. The Coast Guard evacuated seven people, all of them critically injured, and they're searching for 11 confirmed missing. Still yellow. Isn't it possible that AP's busy right now and they've got an intern on the updates? They may have bigger problems than the missing crew. Martin, can you, you make sure the truck can pass? What do you mean bigger problems in the missing nah. crew? No, I know. I'm Hang saying on. get him there. Hang on. Listen to what he said. What did you say? I said they may have bigger problems than the missing crew. Why? I checked out BP Deepwater Horizon. That rig is drilling at 18,000 feet below sea level. There are only a couple of things that could have failed, and if it was the wrong one... Pressure. It would be like trying to toss a hat on a fire hose. What the hell are you two talking about? It's more than 11 missing guys. There might be a massive oil spill 50 miles off the coast of Louisiana. I'm sorry, man. Tell me who you are again. I'm Jim Harper, and I may or may not be, but almost definitely won't be a senior producer here under Mackenzie if she still has a job, which it sounds like she probably absolutely doesn't. Okay, well, whatever it is doesn't start for two weeks, so you're still in my newsroom, and you're behaving in a way that is bothering me. Gotta be blunt. Got it. So in the way the previous show had, like, 
nothing familiar to me. This one had like uh, too many like TV tropes, like of you know well timed speeches and um, yeah, like you said, everybody's a Mary Sue. Like you could kind of predict where things were gonna go and who was gonna be on the right side of something and who was oh. gonna get shafted and. Yeah, and then the, the the emotional music would come in at certain parts during certain speeches or whatever. It's all it's all very by the books. <laughs> yeah, it's very tropey. Yeah, yeah. I I'll also add that it's the the energy of the camera seems out of proportion to what is actually happening. There was just a scene of Sam Waterston and Jeff Daniels having a conversation like over drinks. And the and the camera's sharp zooming and zooming in and it's shaky and it's all around and it's just like you're creating this energy that I don't think that the scene really needed. It yeah. felt very distracting. And everything was just like amped up and everyone was yelling. And, it, and there was a moment where Sam Waterston is like, I was a Marine and I could beat the shit out of you. And I'm like, why are you, why are you yelling? Why is everyone so hostile? He was a weird character all around. I was in a bar in Da Nang. Just now? 1969. I was embedded with 144th artillery for UPI and I was sitting there with a warm Coke watching a beautiful Vietnamese woman doing an exotic dance right in the middle of everybody. A beautiful, beautiful woman. And I thought to myself, I will never know what it is to be with a woman like that. And at that exact moment, the woman spun twice, teetered over, and fell right into my lap. That was a story about how sometimes things fall right into your lap. Does this network not have an HR department? Because this kind of behavior would not fly at my company. It was ridiculous. Alison Pill plays a character called Margaret. Uh, I've always liked Alison Pill. She's going to be in Star Trek Picard. I'm very excited about that. She's the, she's the most exciting uh, thing about that show for me. Star Trek what? Picard. Star Trek Picard. That's what Picard? I call Picard? Okay. Sure. sure. Okay. She's, she's in it. Right. So I'm excited because I, I don't feel like she's had enough like hits. She's in stuff, but she's never in anything that's successful. But that's bound to be successful, so I'm happy for, for her. Couldn't say the answer from over there? Welcome back. Thank you. Charlie Skinner needs to see you in his office. No? He said as soon as you come in. What's... You're Ellen? Maggie, Margaret. What's going on? We know as little, little as you do. Really? Almost as little as you do. What's the part that you know that I don't? You should talk to Charlie Skinner. Where's Karen? There's no one who works here named Karen. My assistant. I'm your assistant. You're Ellen. Margaret. Okay. Uh, I'll let his secretary know you're on your way. Her name is Karen. No one's named Karen. No one. All right. I'll call up for you. Uh, another criticism that the newsroom got was its handling of female characters. They're too spazzy. They're too uh, falling over themselves, stumbling, uh, quirky kind of like how Margaret ran away still attached to the headset and was like, ah, I'm a, the desk is attacking me. Oh, I fell down. Like, it's like, it oh, zoinks. Was it just the girl? There was a guy, too, that tripped over himself and fell over. Yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah, was. The but that's, that whole thing of having the headset on and then, right, that's pretty common sort of thing when you're all excited and you've got a headset on and it's like, go, do this fast. No, I, mean, I, I get that, but I, my understanding of the criticism was that that kind of um, zany behavior gets amped up to a degree where, where people said Emily Mortimer's character was in a war zone, but she doesn't act like she was in a war zone. She acts like she, she falls apart over silly things 
too easily, and she's not convincing as a war correspondent. Maybe you don't see that in the pilot, though. I saw that in the pilot as far as not that she fell apart over stuff, but I really did not feel like this was a woman who'd just come out of a war zone or that she could handle herself in a war zone. I mean, she seemed... I mean, I get it that she was handling... She was trying to handle this guy, but... And that it took, you know, takes a lot of, um, you know, stepping carefully and all of that um unless she i mean she ramped it up when when they were on the air but um but i definitely did not feel like this woman had just come from a war zone or anything or that she had handled herself for what three years in a war zone yeah or various war zones i found an article from the daily beast called hbo's the newsroom aaron sorkin's woman problem and (laughs) i'll just read this paragraph, we're supposed to believe that Mackenzie McHale, Emily Mortimer, covered conflicts in the Middle East and won multiple awards for her work, but she doesn't understand how email works. She can't get through a meeting without knocking over a poster. One of the most troubling things is the way she's used as a prop to Will's martyr complex. She cheated on him, yet she clearly adores him, despite the way he repeatedly berates her. She is the woman who done the man wrong, yet can't quit him. He's clearly our hero. She's capable on occasion, but as ditzy and needy as the shows need her to be whenever it suits them. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think she was super great. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm kind of sorry to hear that that's the way it goes. Um, I mean, I can I can see it going that way from the pilot. Um, but, it, you know, it did not have to be like that um, at all. I think it's his attempt at comedy. Like, oh, let's make it super quirky and fun and how things can kind of just like escalate and be kind of chaotic, but then they come together in the end of the episode and really put on a good show, despite how scatterbrained they all are. Yeah, that doesn't really work too well. Doing live news seems very stressful, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially breaking news. Yeah, did you ever see the movie Broadcast News? Uh, no. It's worth watching. Is that the I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore movie? No, that's Network. That's Network. I, network I've seen. <laughs> Broadcast News is well, a comedy. a long time ago. Broadcast News is a comedy. It's, uh, um, 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 um oh, jeez. Really good cast, and they're, all the names are just right out of my head. Um, I'll look it up. But, yeah, it's a comedy. It's, yeah, I really, it's just something I, I think. It was, it was made at the beginning of the feel-good news era, or, well, not right at the beginning. It was well-established, um, and uh, so it was kind of a, a reaction to that. There you go. Show that to Will, please. Are you serious? Yeah. Will, check out your preview screen. Get it off there! Say you understand. 30 seconds. Someone's going to spill coffee on a button and then broadcast that thing. Get it I've got off. a one-week contract. I don't have a lot to lose. I'm just glad nobody's invented a way to digitally store images and upload them onto a free website where anyone can Has see them. Has someone invented a way to digitally store images? YouTube! YouTube! Oh, man, you're just down. a crazy guy shouting YouTube! Oh, God! Just say you understand! I understand! Good! You warmed up? You want to screw around some more? I'm good! Ten. There's no script. There's nothing on the prompter. Nothing on the prompter's where this man eats. And roll in. Mackenzie comes with her assistant, um, producer, executive producer. I don't really understand the hierarchy of, of everything. Uh, but his name, it's not Jim Halpert, because he's the guy from The Office. It's Jim Harper. Not Jim Hopper 
from Not Jim Stranger Halpert. Things. Who's in this? No, who is in this? I was going to ask you. Did you guys recognize David Harbour? Yes. Yeah. Does he come back later? Or is that his only thing? His only thing for this show? Um. No. He he's in a few episodes, but he's always the. He, they always set him up as Will's like adversary, or maybe not adversary is too strong, but like a patsy, like a a punching bag kind of character, because yeah. he was part of Will's team and then decided to leave and go do his own thing, and then now they're against him, and I it feels very one sided and mean, mean spirited. I remember not liking that. Mm. It's just it's odd that there's a character called Jim Halpert. Or no, Jim Jim Harper. Jim Harper is the character from the newsroom. Jim Halpert's the character from the office, but they're both attracted to a woman in the office who's already with a guy that doesn't deserve her. <laughs> like it's the same setup and it's the same name. Yeah. So what other uh, big news stories does this show handle retroactively? Ooh, that's a good question. Let's find out. Let's see if Wikipedia can tell us the answer to that question. This is a very tough show to uh, pull up on information on on um, on the internet because the title is not. Here we go. It's just the beginning of so many different shows and and descriptions and everything else. Yeah. I I remember I read something today about the Boston Marathon bombing. That was one of the plot points. I think at some point they they have like a season long arc of that's totally fictional, and I my memory tells me that critics at the time thought that that was better and more interesting and suspenseful than anything they had covered like retroactively, like uh-huh. maybe because they didn't know how it would play out, so there was suspense there. I don't, I don't know. I, I it would be nice if I could just find like a simple thing that told me bullet point style the major things that were covered. There's not a lot about this show on the web. So they it was made in 2012 and took place in 2010? Yeah. So they had two years worth of big, big news stories to work with? Pretty much. It's supposed to be really, like, shocking when the date shows up on the screen and when the oil rig explodes. Yeah. Because you're like, whoa, twist. Turns out they're actually covering stuff t- two years ago. <laughs> Uh, and for me, okay. I was like, for me, it was like, I, I don't know, maybe that was the year this this was made. I don't know. True. Yeah, true. I, you would yeah, you wouldn't I, know, you wouldn't know that, but the people watching for the first time would know what year they're watching it, right? Because yeah. they know what year it is. I would hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I did not know. Um, I didn't catch that that it was you know in the past. What I found. Um, is an article from BuzzFeed called Aaron Sorkin Wants to Apologize to Everyone About the Newsroom. He says, I feel like I'm... This is back when the third season was airing or about to air. Uh, I feel like I'm now starting to learn how to write it. I'm very proud of the newsroom. I have the time of my life working with the people that I work with. But there's a learning curve, and unfortunately, those lessons are learned in front of several million people. Again, that's what you sign up for. I wish I could go back to the beginning of the newsroom and start again and replicate what you have which you have with a play, which is a preview period. But I'm feeling really good about how the third season is going. I'll look back on it fondly and proudly. I wish I could get every scene of every episode back so I could do it all over again. I've, you know, there's good bones here. I will Was it canceled? That. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, I, it got an abbreviated 
third season, and then it just sort of ended. It was pretty high profile when it started because, of course, The West Wing is mm-hmm. a great is a great show. Right. Like that's one of the the best shows. It is. It's really good. What are your thoughts, Mel? I thought it. Yeah, I thought the ending was just too neat, and I always expected like um, you know, when uh, they had their kind of parting words, him and his ex girlfriend, that. There would be like a, you know, one of those sitcom, like, um, end, uh, jingles, you know? <laughs> With the little, like, trombone or whatever. <laughs> you know, little saxophone thing. <laughs> I thought that was kind of stupid that she actually was there with the sign. I know. It was too neatly, like, just. So was he hallucinating, like, when she turned into somebody that wasn't her? <laughs> Good question. I mean, you know, it's like, I saw it, I was like, okay, I'm totally confused now, because if that was really her, how come it turned into looking like it wasn't her? It was I just mean, a little too neat. Why, why, would he, why would he confuse her with someone who wasn't there? That, that just was like, made no sense to me whatsoever. It's like, okay, the face you're looking at is someone you know. But you're going to confuse her face with someone you've never seen before and isn't there. That, huh? You know, that could happen, though, seeing as she's so far, if she's so far back in the crowd and he can't quite see her face clearly, then I suppose that could happen. But it was still so just too perfect. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's a little yeah. weird. Yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah. I'm reading a thread from Reddit called Why Do People Hate the Newsroom So Much? And the <laughs> word that keeps coming up is contrived. Yeah. And I want to read this comment from a user named Police. I watched the show, but it's really not that great. The main issue with it is that they're taking on literally old news. So rather than really delving into an issue and exploring the multiple sides of a particular argument, like you could with a piece of fake news... What ends up happening is they show the blunders of the real media. Then the people in the newsroom do it the right way and avoid those blunders. But it's wholly unsatisfying because that only happens because that's the way the writers wrote it. Essentially, the issue is the antagonists, in this case, are the real-life media. And saying, oh, in that situation, I'd have done it this way, in hindsight. Basically, A, it's incredibly easy to write, and B, not that entertaining. Imagine if the West Wing had Jed Bartlett just going through each of the decisions that a real-life president made and fixing all the mistakes. Like, the third episode is after 9-11, and Republicans are clamoring for an invasion of Iraq, and they're going on TV and talking about the evidence of WMDs. But the Great Bartlett administration sees through the deception, figures out what the evidence is BS, or figures out that the evidence is BS, and saves the country from getting into a war that will cost trillions of dollars and thousands of lives. It would be at an abysmal hour of television. It's lazy writing. Then the person responds and says, Your criticism only applies to the first season. Season 2 touches on past events, but the focus is on a fake story based on a real one that happened decades ago. In fact, Season 2 was written specifically to appease critics using that argument, as well as the clumsiness in his misogyny crowd. Season 3 touches entirely on a fake story and a plot about the network getting bought. To put it bluntly, this exact criticism hasn't been valid in two years. (laughs) Well, it was was valid at some point, and... It's definitely valid at the point we're reviewing it. Mm. (laughs) This person says, I've been watching it since the beginning. I thought the first season was okay. What I don't like about it is that it's so self-important and melodramatic. It feels silly and contrived, which is saying something, given the gravity of the real events they deal with. Will McAvoy is portrayed like an omnipotent god. Blech! Yet I watch. (laughs) (laughs) 
I like the admission there. And yet I watch. <laughs> I do like shows about smart people doing smart things. And I like the, the yeah. chaos of the newsroom. I like the environment. The actors are great. Um, one of my notes is that Maggie is an adorable hot mess. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg was the voice in the phone, who was the oil inspector, <laughs> by the way. If anyone oh, was wondering funny. why that voice sounded familiar. Who's that again? Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg? Yeah, I don't who? know who that is. Look him up. You know him. I'm sure I do. He's like he's like um, Michael Sarah Point. Oh, like, yeah. You okay, know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Did you ever see the uh, the meme where they they show like the Pokemon evolution of Michael Sarah? No, no. <laughs> he just me... turns into Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, basically. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll figure it out. He worked with Aaron Sorkin uh, in the Social Network, which okay. is a great movie about Facebook. Yes, it was a good movie. Yeah, I watched a fifty-minute Frontline special about the Deepwater Horizon. Uh, and according to that special, 11 people died and 17 were injured. How long did it take them to cap it? <sighs> that that they didn't mention. Basically, the, the special I watched really delved into the backstory of BP and all the cost-cutting they did, and just how sloppy they were and how negligent they were about everything. I sure hope things have changed. I don't know. A lot of people want to like get rid of the EPA. Yeah. Who wants clean water and clean air? Yeah, who wants to go back to the 70s? I mean, you know, why not go back to the 70s when you'd go into New York City and and you could, there was just this gray haze just hanging over the city. Gray-green. It's a really interesting color. Kind of the green-gray thing and you just drive right into it and know you were breathing that all day. Yeah. Wonderful. Yep. yep. Doesn't look like that anymore. It's all this boring blue stuff, you know. <laughs> fresh air. <laughs> yeah, fresh air. I don't. I don't want fresh air. You can't make money off of fresh air. Yeah, you know, especially with pay-as-you-go healthcare. You know, get that government out of the air. That's right. <laughs> We are trying Sir, to gather information. Please, please, let's let. Well, it isn't easy while we're being hounded. Let's just take a breath. I'm breathing fine. Zone Seal 2000. Your company was hired to provide Zone Seal 2000 and SCR 100, a synthetic cement-like substance meant to seal off the well. Yes or no? Yes, we were, but now you're saying that That's our product is... Now I'm asking if your company did tests on the substance before installing it at the base of Deepwater Horizon. We do exhaustive tests on everything we manufacture. Do you have the results of these exhaustive tests done on Zone Seal 2000? Now you're being unnecessarily flippant. Look, I am not some college student you can shout at. I'm not going to commercial till he answers your question. No, you're the spokesperson for Halliburton. And I came on this program voluntarily. I don't have subpoena power. Everyone comes on this program voluntarily. Understand that this is all happening fast and that this is information that isn't at our fingertips. For the you moment, don't have the test results at your fingertips? Are with the all of our thoughts and prayers are with the missing crew. Nobody's families. thoughts and prayers are with the fire. Uh, let's find out what... What does Harold have to say about the newsroom? Will he like it? Let's find out. Hey, Harold. I know. We'll have Mel read this one. Okay. Please look at the Michael Sarah Pokemon Evolution first. I am going to, yes. Okay. Let me find it. I scroll back up. Okay. I get the top row. I don't get the bottom row. <laughs> oh, you've never played Pokemon? No. Ah, oh, you're a loser. <laughs> Pokemon is adorable. I can't believe you've never played it. You like cute things, Matt. Buy the new one. Yeah. Play with me. 
You mean like having <laughs> having cute little animals fight each other for your amusement? Yeah, yes. basically, like, but it's not. But like you know what, Carol? It's not real. No real animals were harmed in the making of this game. I think it's just I. It's one game I absolutely refuse to allow my son to play. Mm. Not after he started laughing when the two dogs started fighting. I I was like, that's the end of that. I'm it's just, too violent. <laughs> I, no, I, Stick I, with Grand Theft Auto. Pokemon's I, too violent. <laughs> my feeling was that it was literally teaching our kids to be cockfighters and bear baiters. Oh Whoa. my god, Carol. <laughs> Whoa. I, don't, I don't think it's that bad. Well, I, I don't like cockfighting or bear baiting, but I love Pokemon. <laughs> so there you go. As an adult, it's no problem, but as far right. as Having a child play it? No, thank you. If a kid can't tell the difference between real world and a video game, then yeah, there's a problem and an adult needs to explain the difference. What's but... the current Pokemon game, Matt? Pokemon Sword and Shield. It's out November 15th. <laughs> Matt, are you a shill for Nintendo? Yes. <laughs> um, okay, what happened to you? What happened to you? It's so he's... sad. Matt, he's playing his uh, Nintendo Switch right now. I am not. Are so. Um, by the way, Untitled Goose Game, delightful. Anyways. Oh, God. I wanted, see, I wanted that to come to the PlayStation 4 and then I could watch you play it. When I heard about that game, it's like, I want to watch Mel play that game. Okay, I'll play it again just for you because it's, well, it's so not gonna be this. It's not going to be the same. You've already played it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I get the feeling we aren't really into these shows today. No. We're not. Okay. Let's read Harold's, Harold's feedback. Okay, the newsroom. Now, this is an old-fashioned pilot. That was one of the best opening scenes to a TV show that I can remember. I haven't you seen... You fell for it. <laughs> I haven't seen that much of Aaron Sorkin's shows. You know what? It's because it's because he had to watch Luck, and then he was like, Ugh! Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, Oh, the newsroom, this is so much more delightful. Anyways... I haven't seen that much of Aaron Sorkin's shows, but I've seen enough to know that opening Meltdown by Jeff Daniels is a classic example of his work. What I liked about what I liked about it was that it wasn't quite what I was expecting. Based on what I had heard about the show, I was expecting a lot of speeches from fast-talking, brilliant characters telling us what is wrong with the world, which is what we got. Yet, there was a lot more to that scene. When he says, America is no longer great, we used to try to be better. He means, I used to be great. I used to try better. <laughs> or I used to try to be better. Um, the rest of the episode was pretty good, although it reeked of pilot. <laughs> I wonder what pilot smells like. Um, and <laughs> it has the problem that keeps me away from Sorkin shows. Too much brilliant speechifying and not enough dialogue that feels like it would be said by anyone in the real world. It is exhausting and as much as I recognize its good qualities, this is probably not the show for me. I see that this show premiered in 2012. A few things felt anachronistic, even for 2012. First, smoking inside a closed office had been banned in New York since 2003. But I don't think this was anachronistic so much as a power move by McAvoy. He's such On the a other rogue. Hand, yeah, yeah. Yeah, On the other, the feeling I got. Yeah. On the other hand, the way that he tore into that woman... Felt like more of a career ender today than saying that America isn't the greatest country, which is and was a potential career ender anytime since the rise of Fox News. <laughs> I don't think they would write the scene the same way anymore. 
I also had a problem with the premise that a network evening show, news show, was supposed to be important. Yes, I am old enough to remember the days before the internet, and even 24-hour cable news, when it was a big deal which stories were covered by the networks. But the mid-2000s, this was no longer the case. Uh, there is a quote in the pilot that people choose the facts they want. This has only become more true with time. I can go on social media and see people post all sorts of false or misleading stories. We live in a world where up is down and red is black, depending on where you get your news. Sadly, it seems that this is what people want. News that fits their view of the world or makes them feel better about their political party. But this has not made network news more relevant since 2012. Instead, it is more irrelevant. If you want serious vetted journalism, you know where to go and it is not the evening news. Hmm. Quibbles aside, it was a very good pilot, and I give this 8 out of 10 suing sorority girls and their nasty lawyers. That, that was one thing I nasty. thought that was one thing I, I thought was really funny, the quote where it was like, America's more divided now than it has been since the Civil War. And I'm like, ah, that's quaint. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. The Civil War emphasis. He, he had to say it twice. Yes. <laughs> Like compared compared to now, yeah. Just wait. You know, yeah. I wasn't when that girl asked that question. I wasn't sure she bought it necessarily into the premise of her own question. She, she said, "Tell me, tell me why you think America is the greatest country in the world, or tell me why America is the greatest country in the world." Yeah. I don't necessarily mention because she's. I think America is the greatest country in the world. Do you agree? Tell me why. I didn't quite like. He no, tore I into agree. her like like she. What she yeah. thought that like how do you know she thought that. Yeah, she like, could have been baiting him and baiting somebody into saying something, or uh, who knows like what her was angle implied. was. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't quite get that it was. I agree with you. I found that I found that irritating. Yeah, I thought you know him laying into her. It's like she never said of what she thought. She was asking you guys to say what you thought. Yeah. No. Which is, I think, so, a totally fair thing. But yeah, they also I, made her look kind of dumb, like uh, in one sentence or less. Uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm nervous. Uh, I'm nervous. I'm just uh, I'm a sorority girl. Why? She's yeah. a sorority girl because she's blonde. Yeah, I, know. I don't know. It felt uh, a little. That felt a little yeah. misogynistic. Yeah, it did. It's like yeah. they were trying to make her look like a Miss America fail kind of. You know, like when such they such as the Iraq. Yeah, such as the Iraq. Right. Kind of, so, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that and this is a very Aaron Sorkin thing, which is teeing up easy targets to knock down like she's you can really make your heroes look like well in this case like an asshole but you can make them look smart by <laughs> giving them easy opponents uh-huh. yeah and the west wing was guilty to, to this uh, oh yeah quite a lot yeah. too yeah where like they would give kind of give lip service to the other side but then not really the best was um, Ainsley Hayes, the Republican strategist who right. started working. Like that was a character who I felt like they really, uh-huh. when she spoke, you like, oh, I can, I could see that being a real argument. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, that was that was a good way to sort of balance uh-huh. that show's perspective. Um, unfortunately, they wrote her out pretty fast, but I always liked it when she um, got the better hand of Rob Lowe's character. Anyway, Harold, you should watch The West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Harold, you definitely should. Uh, right, uh, and then Stephen has some feedback. Matt can read. Matthew. As soon as I can figure out how to get back to the chat, all I see is Michael Sarah photos. How do I get? <laughs> <laughs> how do I get back to the chat window? 
This is frustrating. I'll have to pull it up on my other computer that I'm recording on. Sorry, Carol saying she didn't let her son play Pokemon reminds me of Matt's mom not letting Matt play uh, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> and he snuck around and played it anyway. Yep. Ooh. <laughs> that turned out great. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> 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 I didn't, I didn't care if he was you know like there were people and everything but this whole thing of having <laughs> little animals fight each other it's like people can make their own decisions if they want not if they're being they shot fight. by someone else <laughs> I choose to not have you shoot me too bad <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that animals you know it's like Having animals fight for you is just like bear baiting or cockfighting. No, no, I agree thing. with you. I don't I'm even know what bear baiting is. What is, <laughs> what is bear baiting? Bear baiting is the same kind of thing like uh, where you have a, you take a bear and you... Um, you make it fight against an animal. Yeah. Yeah, like you'll send a bunch of dogs after it and you've got the bear tied to a post. Yeah, and you just basically you're just waiting to see like, oh, is the bear gonna win or are the dogs gonna get the best of this bear? God, and people yeah. do this. Yeah, it's uh, time no, it's to do this. Stupid. Yeah, cockfighting, bear baiting, um, um, dog fighting. You know, they people people are horrible. It's amazing yeah. that like, I don't even have time to clean my apartment properly, and people have time to do this, right? Because they they make money off it. <sighs> it's it's all done for money. Uh, people like to see animals tear each other apart. That's why, you know, Pokemon has always really struck me badly. <laughs> mm. But that's not why it's popular. <laughs> that's a that's a really interesting take. <laughs> it's, a, it's a collection it's a collection game, but it's it's having well, at the beginning especially, it was, you know, that you would have them fight each other. That was the thing. I mean, I went to one of, I went to like the first movie not okay. knowing what it was. But, you know, my son wanted to go, and I took him, and I was like, within a very short time, that first movie, besides the fact that it was boring as all get out, oh, it, was well, like, yeah. it was like, oh no, this is not, uh-uh, this is setting little animals to fight against each other for your amusement. I mean, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So, and that well, to me was, you know, let's, let's train a whole generation of cockfighters, bear baiters, and dog fighters. <laughs> I don't think that informs anyone's behavior in real life. Like, I don't know of anyone who's played a violent video game and become violent because of it. Is it's this the episode of Hooplecast that splits us apart? To, I think you guys need to get Carol on uh, Matt is Wrong About Games. <laughs> you guys need to have, like, a, a good discussion about this subject. Rest in, like, pe- rest in peace podcast that pod faded. Aww. <laughs> uh, Matt, read, that, read, read Steven's feedback. We could do it again. <laughs> um, Aww. I'm so sad. I'll, uh, <laughs> Pokemon and Shenmue come out around the same time. We'll play a bit of those and we'll talk about those. Oh, we'll talk about the games you played, <laughs> not any of the games that I played in the past year. When I wanted to record, uh, then you couldn't make yourself available. What podcast are we on right now? Uh, <laughs> something. Uh, wow, in terms of quality... <laughs> I can't think of more di- diametrically opposed pairing reviewed by Hooplecast than oh that's what we are than Luck and the Newsroom. So he wrote there Hopplecast. is more character what he wrote Hopplecast. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> he did write Hopplecast. There is more like character di- dynamic and raw spunk, gross, in the first <laughs> 10 minutes of Newsroom than all of Luck's pilot episode. Jeff Daniels' opening rant is legend. Allison Pill is amazing. She was last seen on Hopplecast, Hopplecast playing the character April in HBO's In Treatment. The ca- uh, the cameo by David Harbour, best known now for his role in Netflix Stranger Things, was delightfully was delightful though woefully brief. I you know he was unrecognizable. I recognized him right away. I did not. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> He's like, much younger. Yeah, and less bearded. Yes. I'm glad to see his character reoccurs in later episodes. And Sam, goddamn American treasure, Watterson, <laughs> uh, whose character was on 16 seasons of Law and Order. Before continuing with spinoffs, Law and Order Trial by Jury, and Law and Order Special Victims Unit, and was in both Homicide, Life on the Street, crossover episodes, back-to-back Baltimore references, and you thought I was done. (laughs) I wanted to like Sam Waterston with his cute little bow tie until he wanted to fight one of his employees for no reason. He was just weird. And he was was drunk. I mean... He He didn't act drunk. Well, there's a lot of drunks that don't act drunk. Because he's drinking all the time. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Also, was this a stranger pairing than when we covered the number one ladies detective agency and generation kill in one episode? (laughs) All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't entirely sold on Emily Mortimer as Mackenzie McHale, especially in the scenes where she's trying to play Yenta Matchmaker. And for this first episode, Olivia Munn is sadly underutilized. Much like Deadwood. Huh? Was she she in it at all? I don't know. I don't remember even seeing her in the Sims. Oh, wait a minute. Hmm? Did she stick her head out at one point and say something like, you know... I'm Olivia Munn. I'm on this show. Or, you know, (laughs) there's... I don't know. Everybody's Uh in a conference or something like that. I I don't know. Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, much like Deadwood, the newsroom was capped at three seasons, with some reviews directly blaming writer-creator Aaron Sorkin, whose style became too distinctive, too obvious, magnified by the misuse of elements within that style. Sorkin doesn't write female characters very well. His style of humor seems incapable of producing an audible laugh, and oh dear, does he love a soapbox. Yeah, that's all entirely valid. Um, he quotes despite a source... My- and then he cites a source. <laughs> Tim Goodman, a goodbye of the newsroom, and maybe Aaron Sorkin as well, from The Hollywood Reporter, November 9th, 2014. Sorry. Uh, wanted despite- to make sure we give credit there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, despite minor nitpicks, I enjoy this first episode and happily give the newsroom 8 out of 10 sneaky references to the Merchant of Venice. I just offered her the most humility- humiliating contract since Antonio-, Antonio got a loan from Shylock. Good on you, Aaron's. Uh, good on you, Sorkin, to slip in some Shakespeare. Good on you. Good on you, pal. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, uh, Harold and Stephen, for the feedback. Thank you for participating in this crazy podcast we call Hopplecast. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't bring her in to right the ship. You brought her in to build a new one. You knew Don would go with Elliot. You orchestrated the whole thing. Yeah. For a long time now, I badly wanted to watch the news on my TV at night. Then it occurred to me, I run a news division. 
She's indifferent to ratings, competition, corporate concerns, and generally speaking, consequences. Good, because you just described my job. I'm Don Quixote. You can be Sancho. She'll be Dulcinea. And everyone out there is the horse. Donkey, how did you know about that conversation? I know everything. Anchors having an opinion isn't a new phenomenon. Morrow had one, and that was the end of McCarthy. Cronkite had one, and that was the end of Vietnam. I'm not those guys. I'm betting all my money on your wrong. You know what, kiddo? In the old days of about ten minutes ago, we did the news well. You know how? We just decided to. Well, um, let's rate it. I'll go first. Uh, I like the pilot, actually, even though I find a lot of it to be tropey and obnoxious with in terms of the camera camera work and the just like energy that seems like just out of proportion to what's actually should be happening in a business setting. Um, but I still enjoyed a lot of it and I liked how they pursued their leads to put that newscast on about the deep water horizon spill, all the background work that they had to do and the actors are good and some of the dialogue is funny and, uh, yeah, overall, a uh, Way better than luck kept my interest, and not only did I would, would I watch an episode, another episode, I actually did. I watched several more back when this was on, so I will give it um, eight out of ten criminally negligent oil executives. Who wants to go next? I thought it was fine. I liked it probably better. Than I would have if I hadn't watched it along with luck. <laughs> uh, I, I'm probably going to score it higher because of that. Um, I don't know if I'd watch much more if it was all kind of tropey like like this one was. Uh, I don't know. I'll give it a seven and a half out of ten headphones that I'm tangled up in or headsets or whatever. <laughs> all right, I'll go. Um, well. I have mixed emotions about it because I feel like, I mean, I want to watch more because I feel like it's going to get better. Um, there were really good things about it. I've seen that first scene so many times um, that I feel like it kind of, it's really hard to rate the episode because I I feel like I somehow have watched this before. And... Um, and that's just because of the number of times that first scene has been shown. Um, yeah, I want to see. I want to see more of it. I want to see where it goes. Um, I'm going to say seven out of ten. Um, stereotypical old bad relationships in the workplace. Um, I. Um I liked it more than I thought I would because it's funny because when we were about to watch it, I was like, oh, Matt, let's watch the show that I think we'll probably won't like first. And then we ended up liking it more. Yeah. Yeah, which was kind of funny. But, um, yeah, no, it was was surprisingly good. Um, Yeah, at first I liked the characters like I did like the Mackenzie girl because I was like oh like she's like really on the ball here like she's like getting shit done I was like oh but then it became too much like it was just it they just really forced it and I was like all right that's enough of that but uh (laughs) (laughs) 
enough of you. <laughs> but yeah, on the whole, it was uh, it was all right. So I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of ten um, power cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. That averages out to a seven and a half overall. I, it seemed like it had a lot of potential to be a good show. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah, no. I, I would not mind watching it again, I don't think. I wonder, though, if, if, if parts of it will start to irritate me like they did in the past. Or was I just buying into the critical opinion of it and their opinions I just reflected? I, I wonder. Well, next time we'll be talking about a miniseries from 2012 called Parade's End. Never heard of it. Nope, me either. It's, uh, is it based on a book? It might be based on a book. It's, uh, got Benedict Cumberbatch in it, that much I know. And oh. it takes place before World War One, and it's about, I don't know, rich people in England? It's <laughs> kind of Downton Abbey-ish. It's a period drama of English people doing English things. All in right. the countryside, probably, in a manor house. I'm into that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Widespread critical acclaim, sometimes been cited as the highbrow Downton Abbey. So, maybe. Oh, I thought Downton Abbey was the highbrow Downton Abbey. Uh, no? I think I think Downton Abbey is a lot more camp than people really remember it to be. Oh, okay. Uh, I saw and it then, in pieces. So, anyway. What's, what's that? I saw it in pieces, Downton Abbey. I didn't see it like when everybody else was watching it. I saw one part of it, and I saw another part of it. So, I didn't really get, maybe I didn't get the whole thing. And we'll be talking about the 2014 series True Detective. Aha, uh-huh, I've never seen that. Yeah, I, I always wanted to watch that. Yeah. So that that will be fun. Ooh. And then the time after that is one of my favorite shows, The Leftovers. Aha. Uh-huh. Which Matt and Mel were supposed to watch before we covered it on the podcast. Because <laughs> seasons two and three are nothing like the pilot in season one. And I kind of wanted you to have the full picture of what the show was. We tried. We watched... Did we? Yeah, we watched five or six episodes. I don't remember. Maybe that's why we didn't continue. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't remember. It's we the one with Justin, somebody... Justin, Justin Thoreau. Yeah, yeah oh! Justin Trudeau. <laughs> oh, it was kind of infuriating to watch. Well, you know what? I would have kept watching it, though. But it was just... I think I, think I just wasn't in the right mindset to be watching a show like that at the time. Why? I... What, what, what about it? It was just true. Was that when you were unemployed? Probably. <laughs> I could, I that's I, always stressful. Yeah, so I think I just didn't need more stress in my life at the time. <laughs> so yeah, that might have been part of it. I don't know. Well, it's 28 episodes. Hurry up and watch it. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. I always... Like, people always tell me about how good the show is, but... So many shows to watch, Matt. It's so hard. Wah, wah, wah. I know mm. it. <laughs> yeah. which, show, which show are they supposed to hurry up and watch? The Leftovers. Okay, that sounds really familiar. And, Carol, you should see if you can get access to it, too. It would be fun to, to review that show as a group, having seen the okay. entire show. Because I, I do find it to be a really fascinating program, the way that it... It changes in tone and scope and mystery from like its first to second and third seasons. Like, 
it does do a dramatic kind of personality shift, which I find really cool. Not that I didn't, not that I hated the first season. There's episodes in it I like, and obviously it does a lot of world building, but I feel like season two and three are just a totally different animal. Oh. Kind of reminds me of when Millennium shifted from season one to season two. Mm. Yes. Oh, it's another apocalyptic thing. Kinda, yeah. Well. All right. Says two percent of the world's population is left. That's kind of. No, two percent. Two percent disappeared. Oh. Oh, yeah. Two percent disappeared. Oh. Okay. So it's not really apocalyptic, though. It. No, it's about. It's more about. A lot of people. It's a lot. It's more about trauma. Yeah. Because you either knew somebody who disappeared and you don't have an explanation, or you know somebody who knew somebody, and it just like. The world just sort of shifts ever so slightly in a new direction mm-hmm. because of an unexplainable event. And how do the characters deal with that? And how do they spiral out of control? And mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Anyway, you can find us at hooplecast.com. That's where I have links to episodes and show notes. Go to Facebook, search for Hooplecast, find the discussion group, join us, talk about stuff. And send us feedback, hooplecast at gmail.com. Otherwise, this was fun, and I'll see you next time. Okie dokie, Smokey. Fuck you! (laughs) Still doing that? Yes. Okay. You could have retired that if you wanted to since the Deadwood movie. It would have been a good, like, time to kind of, like, back away from that. (laughs) Maybe you you should, like, uh, change it up. Uh, Have a nice day! Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> Bye. I gotta say something. Oh, no, it's okay. You can you you do you. <laughs> there would be outrage mm-hmm. if I said nothing. Right. All all four listeners would be very upset. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Hear me now, thou bleak and unbearable world. Thou art base and debauched as can be. And the knight, with his banners all bravely unfurled, now hurls down his gauntlet to thee. I am I, Don Quixote, the Lord of La Mancha. My destiny calls and I go.
show. 